Hello and welcome to Knowledge Engaged, the podcast of the University of Nottingham's Institute for Policy and Engagement. The Knowledge Engaged podcast is an opportunity to explore with our researchers the work they're doing and the difference it is making. I'm Stephen Meek, Director of the Institute, and I'm delighted to welcome back Professor Chris Denning to the second half of a conversation I had with him. Chris is Professor of Stem Cell Biology here at the University of Nottingham, and he's also the director of the university's new Biodiscovery Institute, or BDI. Chris was also instrumental in setting up the university's asymptomatic COVID testing service. In our conversation, we discussed both testing and the Biodiscovery Institute. You can find our conversation about the testing service in a separate podcast, But what we'll focus on today is the Biodiscovery Institute, what it's for, and in particular, the research culture that Chris wants to establish within it. Be really interesting to get a a sense from you of the sort of the purpose and ethos in particular of of the BDI. What's it for and how do you want it to operate and perhaps how it links with what you've been doing on testing? Yeah, sure. So very brief history. The the original Centre for Biomolecular Sciences was set up in 2003-2004 and its remit was to be highly interdisciplinary and that was just the initial building phase one as it was called. The, the intention was to build a second phase to expand that which then opened in 2007 and again the remit was to bring different disciplines together, engineers with physicists, with chemists, biologists and so on to then say, if you work together, can you create better solutions for social economic problems, um, medical problems and the, and the like? And the answer to that essentially is yes. If you think about, you know, let's inject somebody with a particular drug. It's not just about the drug. It's about the device you're going to inject it in, the stability of that, mm-hmm. the chemistry of, of the drug you're putting in, biology that underlies it all the ethics, the the legal, and so on. And so as to bring a lot of those aspects together, that worked tremendously well. And it was then decided back in about 2015, thereabouts, that there would be a, a third phase. And essentially, that led to the expansion of that, which was the CBS expansion, and it was called. Um, in 2018, I took over as director. And I wanted, I always felt that as an institute, we weren't necessarily, we were doing very well internally, but we weren't really sending that message out to the, to the effect that we wanted to. So I wanted to go through quite a strong rebranding. And my, my intentions in the first couple of years were broken down into six month chunks, if you like. The first six months was very much about rebuilding structures. The governance structure for then that the CBS didn't really exist. It was it was a single director and then just the unit heads and that was it. It didn't report higher, it didn't really bring in the whole populace and so on. So we rebuilt those structures so we had connectivity to the schools, to um, to an executive, put up a, an external scientific advisory board and so on. We had theme leads across a whole bunch of different areas where you could just give out autonomy to those individuals. Mm-hmm. And then we set up things like the engagement theme, which was to really, really pervade into the whole community and let the whole community have a voice. In those early days, we did simple things like even, even the colour scheme. For phase three, it was being developed. You know, I put out votes on that. You know, what color schemes do you want? Here are the choices. You vote on it. That that same kind of thing came came down to, to the next phase. So the six, next six month block was about moving in. 
um, to the expanded phase, which we wanted to keep very good communication and engagement on that. And things like that were around, okay, we need to physically get people in, but we need to get them to buy into the, uh, the ethos and the identity as well. And so things like the Biodiscovery Institute, sure, we went out and we, we asked for ideas of names. We had about 100 different names that were put forward. And then we worked with an external company to refine that down to the top three plus six taglines. But again, we went out to the whole community and said, right, what do you think? And we just had voting systems on that. And so from those final three, we then chose the Biodiscovery Institute as a democratic a democratic process, in essence. And, and I think it's building that kind of society that's important. That was then going to lead into the third block of six months, which was around branding, external marketing, and so on, which would have seen the launch um, yeah. at the, the end of that in May 2020, but COVID got in the way of that, so we've, we've delayed that a bit. That was then going to link into, okay, people have been working really well to their own individual strategic goals, but now we've got the community together, we need to think about much bigger, longer term, grander uh, strategic goals that are going to take us through the next 5, 10, 20 years. That's the, the phase that over this next year we'll start to move into. And so bear in mind that the BDI, Biodiscovery Institute, as it's rebranded, BDI affectionately for the short name, is very very much much about bringing together these different disciplines so for example nigel minton's empire works very much across many areas but this includes things like trying to tackle climate change by by capturing carbon dioxide in an essence turning carbon dioxide into foodstuffs or useful proteins yeah. and, and the like We've got other people who are working in the cancer space trying to bring up innovative therapies. So people like ScanCell with Lindy Durant trying to develop, I think even beyond cancer, that sort of side shifts into COVID vaccines yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got all of these different areas that we need to glue together better. And whilst we can do that at the PI level, I'm a great believer that if you create a happy environment where people have a high amount of buy-in, then they will naturally come up with greater levels of innovation because they're happy and they're enthusiastic. And I think one of, you know, through your life, you can identify a few sort of key points that change your mindset. And one of those was, was about four years ago when I did the Leadership and Management Academy course, which was for schools and high-performing departments. And within that, we were given access to a TED Talks video from a chap called Dan Pink. And I just encourage anybody in the world to just type into Google Dan Pink Motivation and, and just watch it. It'll be probably the best 20 minutes of your life. So partway through it, he says, you know, it doesn't matter. Unless it's life-changing financial reward you give to somebody. For anybody that needs any level of cognitive input, it doesn't matter at all. They're not going to respond to that in the long term. What does drive them are three core processes. Number one is autonomy, that ability to, to contribute, to think, to you, think for yourself and kind of be respected for that thought process. The second is mastery, your own ability to get better and better at something. And the third is to have real purpose. And if you look at any of the big challenges that you have undertaken in your own lives, and you really think, you know, how much did that plug into autonomy, mastery and purpose? The answer is it probably ticked all three boxes in a very strong way. So that then leads you to think, how do you inspire and motivate people to get into that mindset? Because if you create a structure that, that allows them to do that and empowers them to do that, 
you know, their research will get better, their communication will get better because they're buying into the whole idea. So in many ways, you know, a lot of my focus has not been so much around what can we do in terms of the science at the moment, mm. but we'll come to that. My focus has, has been much more on how can you make a research culture where people are driven to succeed? And if you do that, then they carry the rest. And so that's fundamentally how it's been. There have been beneficial offshoots of all of that. And that's all of the different engagement themes that we've we've had come out. Because once you empower people to do that, they start stepping forwards and saying, yeah, but well, what about this? What about that? So so now we have our wonderful newsletter, the BDI, um, written as the BDI instead of the, the letters BDI. And that's driven by the early career researchers. It's theirs. They develop it. They put it out well worth a read. They, they have brilliant stuff in it. They initiated project period, free uh, free sanitary products for everybody in the BDI who needs it. Um, the Sunflower Challenge was mm-hmm. initiated by them. Uh, we've done outreach projects for stay-at-home science that, that went out to 450 schools um, across Nottinghamshire. We've done countless uh, ideas of these initiatives. And I have to say, apart from one, none of these have been developed by me, all yeah. by the community. That means you get more buy-in from the community, you get more output from the community. It's that simple. So none of that's rocket science. It's just about empowering people. It's simple yeah. as that. No, that's that's so interesting and, and so inspiring. And as a relative newcomer to a university... I think sometimes there is a tendency amongst academics to think structures are necessarily obstructive and difficult. And sometimes structures are obstructive and difficult. But it's really interesting to hear how you've thought about the way the BDI operates, both as an organisation, but also as a building, to create a space in which people are able to innovate, to to sort of drive things themselves. You know, so there's a clarity of purpose, but also a sense of sort of a sense of freedom, a sense of empowerment. And it's really interesting the way that actually that requires really careful thought about structures. It's not about being really loose. It's about being clear what you're going to be tight about and what you are then going to free people up to do. That's really interesting. And as you say, things like the Sunflower Challenge, which I don't know if you want to say a little bit about the Sunflower Challenge, which have had impact and and interest way beyond the Institute. So maybe something quickly about sunflowers. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. It's just reflecting on what you said about the the structures. I I completely agree with you on that. I I think the key thing, It's almost, for me, saying the word structure is almost wrong nowadays. Mm -hmm. It should be the words empowered structure. Because I think for me, where that difference is, is rather than just having a structure that says you do that, you do that, Mm -hmm. it's a question of, right, we need something within these spaces. We'd like you to lead on this and develop that and then report into it. Because that empowerment is so critical to to people to, to do stuff. and. The number of times over the last few years where I've got somebody to do that and they've started doing it, and I have to say I've had to bite my tongue because I thought initially, well, I wouldn't do it that way. But it's like, no, Chris, you know, you're the one that's saying do it this way, so, you know, let yeah. people be empowered. And they come back with a far, far better result than I would have done. So I think, you know, once you've seen that a couple of times, it just shows you that you have to let people do it. And actually, nine times out of ten, they are going to do it better than mm-hmm. you. So, so that yeah, there's that. And then in terms of the Sunflower Challenge, very, very simple. Inspired by Ruth Griffin within the BDI, she came up with the idea early on in COVID. This is not a great time. We need something to brighten people's lives. And the concept there was simple. How can we 
get as many sunflower seeds to as many people as widely as possible across the globe. And that's really how it got born. And it, it worked beautifully. I think we ended up covering about 10 different countries. And it was probably the best part of 100,000 seeds that we got out to people, which was absolutely fab. And so we repeated it this year. And, and we know that's going pretty well so far because we're seeing the images come back. So, so yeah, just a bit of fun. But again, just a little bit more engagement, seeing mm. the human side of people. Yeah. And the humor and humanizing things that can be that, you know, because you are you are, you and your colleagues in the BDI are working on things that are incredibly sort of profound, deep science, you know, demands huge sort of expertise and knowledge to begin to get a grip of. And I think humanizing that is so important, being able to communicate, well, both be able to engage people with it through things like Sunflare. But also, as you have done today, to be able to talk about it in such a, a sort of a human relatable way, I think is so, because universities can be very forbidding institutions. I don't know. Perhaps you could say a bit about what the next steps where, where you know, the B, like you say, last year, the BDI had a big launch planned that had to uh, go because of COVID. What are the plans for the sort of opening of the BDI? Yeah, so, so I think a few things on that. It was, you know, it was postponed because of COVID, but never say never. And, and so it got rescheduled for May this year. It got postponed, but now it's rescheduled for September of this year. Hopefully it'll go ahead this time because things are looking brighter over, over the next few months. And I think, again, the, the premise of that is the same. We, we get engagement from people. We showcase our best. We try and humanize it. We try and engage people. And, and so one of the things that we, we wanted to do before, again, that got postponed, but we'll, uh, we'll do it this time, is that we've been working with James Parkinson from External Relations, and he's the chap that oversees what happens in that beautiful set of display boards around Highfields Park. And so because the images that we create through science, an initiative that I called Art in Science, about a year, year and a half ago, I requested that we would have the most beautiful images. They're all of science. They're all, all of biology and science, but they create stunning images. So we're going to mm. do a board takeover uh, that overlaps with the, the launch. And so that will be sort of September, October, November time, which I'm really excited about because that's my favorite time on campus anyway, because of the autumn colors. So getting that engagement we've now got the website set up as well we've done loads of work around trying to to, uh, to work up twitter get the internal and external engagement going we're doing a lot more around how can we build the narrative around the facilities that we have we're we're pulling together the the overall uh, strategy for for the bdi initially based on the strategy that we've already got within the individual groups but now pulling that together to to then ask questions as an interdisciplinary institute, how can we act as a hub to answer some of the bigger questions? Mm. So um, how can we get greater interdisciplinary engagement through, you know, not just science, but beyond to, to start to ask big grand challenges? What are they going to be? Who needs to be involved? Who's going to drive that and champion it? And why is it really critical to, to where we want to go? So they're going to be the questions that we ask next. Yeah, brilliant. That's fantastic. I'm really grateful to you for giving your time to talk to us about the testing service and about the BDI. Very interesting that you ended talking about beautiful images of, of science that uh, people who are in the Nottingham area can, will hopefully be able to come and see around Highfield 
part. And Chris, you know, if Chris's professional achievements aren't enough, he's also a really brilliant photographer. And we will include links to his website in the show notes. And, you know, if you're a fan of nature photography, of Wollerton Park in Nottingham and of Border Terriers, it's definitely a place for you to go. But uh, again, Chris, thank you so much. Thanks again to Chris and thank you for listening to the Knowledge Engaged podcast. You'll find a link in the notes to the show to find out more about the Institute, upcoming events, blogs and podcasts. Thank you.